This is episode 39 on failure, featuring wise words from six professional runners on their biggest disappointments and how they bounced back. Hey everyone, I'm super pumped that you're here because this episode is a new format of podcast that we're experimenting with today. I don't have a guest. I have six guests. All of them are elite athletes. All of them have achieved at the highest level of the sport. But that's what makes them different from you and I. There's far more that makes them similar to recreational runners like us. Like us, elite runners get injured. Like us, they fall short of their own expectations. And like us, they flat out fail when everything is on the line. Today you're gonna hear from Olympic 800 meter runner Nick Simmons, this year's Leadville Trail 100 winner Devin Yanko, mountain runner Brandy Erholtz, Greek Olympian Alexi Pappas, ultra marathoner Travis Macy, and racing phenom Mike Wardian. Like any runner, these athletes have failed. They've fallen, they've come up short. Nevertheless, they persisted. Their perseverance and tenacity allowed their talent to shine through. And I think you can use this same grit to overcome your own failures, develop a more positive mindset, and change the trajectory of your running for the better. And so failure has always captured my imagination because it's not sexy. It's not glamorous. It's not featured in runner's world because we simply don't celebrate failure. But I think it can be our ally a potent learning tool that will teach you more about yourself and your capabilities than almost anything else. So bust out the notepad and pen because each one of these pro runners has some really valuable insights into how failure can make you into a more unstoppable runner. Let's kick off the show with Mike Wardian, a man who's known for the unreal number of races that he runs. Let me give you a few examples. During a 45-day span in 2006, he won four out of five marathons that he raced. In 2007, he ran 13 marathons, not including ultras, and seven marathons in a span of nine weeks, and he won three of them. In 2008, he won the National Marathon in D.C. on a Saturday, and then finished third at a marathon in Knoxville the very next day. In 2008, Wardian ran a total of 53 races. Just this year, Mike ran the Leadville Trail 100, finishing 10th, I should add, and less than 12 hours later ran the Pikes Peak Marathon. He's only the second person to do this, and he's the fastest to do it by almost four hours. Do you know how insane that is? Check out last week's interview with Leadville female champ Devin Yanko to hear more about the Leadville Trail 100 course. And the Pikes Peak Marathon is crazy too. There's more than 7,800 feet of gain and loss with a max altitude of more than 14,100 feet. When people ask him about all these races, Mike said, and I'll quote here, a lot of people say, oh, you could be a 212 guy or a 214 guy. And they're talking about the marathon, by the way. If you just focused on one race a year or two races a year and really built up. And I think the counter argument is that you could get hurt and you wouldn't have any races in a year. There are just so many opportunities out there and I love to toe the line. I love to see what I can do and just push the limits and try and experiment with myself. God, I love that. Mike is a purebred racer. With hundreds of races under his belt, let's find out what he thinks his biggest failure of his career has been and how he bounced back. I've had a lot of failures. I did the 50K and 100K uh, World Championships in Cotter 
in 2014, I think. And uh, I just, I thought I was ready for the, I did the 50K and I did okay, but I didn't have the day I wanted. But then uh, like three weeks later was the 100K and I felt like I was really prepared for it. And I had done all kinds of like crazy, just because it's so hot there. I, I did all this like, hot yoga and and sauna stuff and i really thought i was prepared and i just i still got crunched by the heat and i just i just suffered the whole day and just ended up running like my slowest 100k ever uh and i still was able to help you know the team do really well but it was um it was it was just it was it was one of those things where you think you did everything right and i i I just don't think I was as prepared for the heat as I thought I was. And I, I, I just couldn't do anything about it. And it's just the worst feeling, like the first lap, knowing that you're just not going to have the day that you want. And you have to just keep pushing. And, you know, sometimes it turns around. And this was one of those times where it just didn't turn around. Like there was, there was, I was tried every trick and my body was just like, nope, not, not going to work today. So that, that, that's probably, that, that's probably one that, that sticks out. I think the other one was probably when I was, uh, I tried to set a world record on the treadmill, um, for the marathon and I ran until I basically passed out and ended up in the ER getting some, uh, some IV fluids. And that, that was kind of a bummer. I just got, I was like within like a kilometer of, of finishing and just got like my wife called it like wiggly man and just ended up like falling off the treadmill and i'm so disappointed I'd, I'd never really had that was my first really big failure as a as a runner everything up to that point had been pretty pretty smooth and, and that was the first time where i set a goal and i didn't achieve it what helped you bounce back from these failures because it sounds like in both times they were almost a situation where you were just helpless either you, you you wanted to run better you tried to turn things around but you couldn't is there something that you know some lessons that you take from these experiences to better inform your running today yeah i mean i think i think that you know some days i think the the one thing that i learned from both those instances is sometimes you're just not going to have the day that you want i mean i think you you got to you got to recognize um, you know, if you've, you've set a, set a goal that's maybe too audacious or you're just not, you're not as prepared as, as you think you are. And, and the nice thing about running, it's pretty transparent. So, um, you know, if, if you're not, not as fit as you think you are, or, or you're not regulating, heat, like both these cases were times when I overheated and, uh, if you're not regulating the heat well, uh, you know, sometimes that has to do with your body, but a lot of times that's really just, um, staying up on stuff. So like staying up on fluids, keeping cool with like ice or, uh, dumping water on yourself. And, you know, that's, that's the stuff that you can control. And, you know, um, and then obviously, you know, being physically able to perform what you, what you've set out to do, I, I think, uh, when you get into trouble is when you're, when you reach and then you, you refuse to yield to, to the circumstances, which I think is a great thing in, in an athlete, actually. I mean, I think that's 
what you want every time is like to seek the best of yourself. And to do that, you have to kind of step over the edge sometimes and get slapped on the wrist or uh, end up putting yourself out there. Um, but, uh, you know, you do, you do in turn put yourself in jeopardy of, you know, not, not being able to perform. And sometimes it's as easy as just backing off like a couple seconds per a mile uh, when it's hot or, uh, if you're, if you're not having the day you want and, you know, you can still run almost as good as you would have, uh, if you were just going for it. Um, so that's, I think what comes with experience is just knowing like, okay, this is a, a rough patch or, uh, a part where I, I need to just slow down for a second to try to try to figure out what's going on and then kind of deal with it and then keep moving on. And then a lot of times you can get that time back by not giving it up later, right? Like a second per mile, that's only 30 seconds off the time that, that you wanted, but that can be all the difference between 30 seconds slower or, uh, well, 26 seconds slower, right? But uh, over the course of a marathon or, uh, you know, five or six or 10 minutes slower if, if you go just that little bit too fast. So it's kind of finding that limit and then, you know, kind of poking around it and figuring out, uh, what's going to happen if you overextend. And, and I think that's something that you preferably do in training, but a lot of times you just can't reach that same level of intensity. And, uh, I think competition brings that out and I know it does in me. And so like sometimes, you know, you have to, you have to step over the line and, and see exactly what you're capable of. And a lot of times you'll surprise yourself. Yeah, it sounds too like you're talking a lot about listening to your body, which I think is a skill among distance runners. And it's one of those skills that you just need a long time and a lot of different experiences to really to really understand or else you're not really going to be able to decipher all those subtle signals that your body is communicating to you. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think listening to your body, I mean, that's, everybody says that, but I don't know how many people actually know what that means. And, and I don't know if I actually know what that means. Cause a lot of times my body will tell me one thing and I'll make it do something else. I mean, I know just yesterday when I was, uh, I ran a, a famous trail here in Kauai, the Kalalua trail and, uh, my body the whole time was telling me stop cause it was so hot and, uh, it was just like, you don't want to do this. You know, you should just quit. And I just made it keep going and I had an incredible day. And, uh, it's, it's like uh, someone gave me the advice once, never make a decision to stop a race while you're going uphill. You know, there's, there's times when, uh, you can, uh, feel terrible. And then 10 minutes later, you feel like it's the best day you've ever had. So, uh, I think listening to your body, you have to, you have to do that, but then, you know, you also have to, um, set these big goals and, and figure out exactly what you're capable of. And so it's a fine balance between like heeding what your body's saying. And, and cause sometimes it's like, no, no, I'm not going to do this. And other times it's like, yeah, let's keep going. Like, this is amazing. And so, uh, and, and that can actually be almost as dangerous as when it's telling you to stop because, you know, you can feel amazing at the first 10 miles of a marathon or a hundred K or something, but you gotta, you gotta know that you have to, you have to feel that way at the end is when it's most important because, you know, a couple seconds faster per a mile can set you up to come back with, uh, you know, a minute per mile slower at the end. So to the experience of knowing like, okay, my body, uh, can say one thing, but 
you know, you got to use your mind too to kind of regulate it either, you know, for good or for bad. And, and sometimes like that's, I think the, the hardest thing. And I think that really comes with, with experience, but also like just, you know, testing out that stuff in training too. And, and that's, that's why you do the work so that you can, you can kind of push the limits, uh, when you're competing. Yeah. I like what you said about running too fast at the beginning of a marathon. <clears throat> I like describing that as, uh, depositing time in the bank that you are required <laughs> to withdraw later with interest. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's so true. Well, my other, uh, I was actually just emailing, emailing with him, but Jason Slarb said like, there's no, no, you know, don't be a first half hero. Like, uh, like, and I think a lot of us are guilty of that. You know, you go out and you feel good and, you kind of you kind of like think you're putting time in the bank but like i've i've never had that that um that time equate if uh if if like you're saying you, you start pulling it out at the end it is with interest and sometimes that interest can be exorbitant like it's like credit card rates so you know just be careful because uh um yeah you you can pay for it for sure on the back end there's one thing that you, you mentioned that I just want to explore for another minute. And you were talking about factors that are in your control versus factors that are outside of your control. Can you elaborate that on a, a little bit when it comes to, you know, failure? Yeah, I mean, I think that things that are in, in your, your control are, are things that you, you have a direct control of or, you know, what you're, what you're fueling with, how you're fueling. Uh, when you're fueling, regulating your temperature, um, because I mean, I think that for me, that's one of the biggest factors of, of being able to continue to run at a high level is, is making sure your body kind of overheats, right? Uh, depending on, uh, how hot or cool it is, everybody has to deal with that. So it's the people that, um, you know, cause we're all running the same course on the same day in the same conditions and, um, you know, depending, I mean, if it's a hundred mile race, you know, I might, I might not get there at the same time as the, as the leaders or, or the people behind me might not get there at the same time as I do like to like a 2000 foot climb or 6,000 foot climb or something, but like, you're still going over the same course and you started at the same time. So how you regulate all the factors that are in your control, like, whereas the things that are outside of your control are like, you know, the weather, like, whatever the weather is, the weather is for everybody. So, I mean, that's something that you can't control. You can't control if the aid stations are set up, you know, you can't control the course. I mean, you can't control, you can't control a lot of things, but uh, the things you can control, those are the things you should focus on and, and let all that other stuff kind of just wash away. Right. Like if it's, it's a hundred degrees and uh, a headwind, like, okay, I mean, that's, not going to be ideal for you know having your fastest time but you can have the fastest time on the day or you can have you can make the best of it and so like i i try not to let stuff like that affect me um and then just can focus on the things i can control like i can control uh what i eat when i eat uh what i'm drinking uh how i'm regulating my temperature um what my competitors are doing. I mean, sometimes the, the thing about running too is like, I noticed coming from a team sport like lacrosse where, you know, you, you can put your best player on their best player and kind of take those guys out of the equation. Like in running, you can't do anything about what anyone else around you is doing. Like there's no, 
guarding somebody, uh, you know, so worrying about what other people are doing is kind of one of those things that's outside of your control, but it's really hard to realize that. I, I think that's one of the biggest factors. And, you know, someone tries to make a move and, you know, do you, have, do you need to go with them or, or do you stay and do your own thing? And, and so I think that's one of the, one of the factors that comes into play is like, control what you can do yourself and, and kind of let the rest of the stuff work itself out. And, um, you know, that being said, like I, I, uh, I have, I've been guilty of just going with somebody just because I want to see what they're capable of. And, uh, it's, it's pushed me to do better than I thought I could on my own. So like, I, I, that's why I love racing as much as I do. It's, it kind of brings out that inner animal in all of us, or at least it does in me. And it kind of forces me to, to do something that, you know, maybe I'm uncomfortable with, but then at the end of the day, it's something that ends up, you know, leading me to, to where I want to be. And, um, I don't know, I super enjoy it. Now listen carefully to what Mike just said. He was talking about something really important, the issues that you can control versus the issues that you can't control. And Mike rightly noted that if you can't control it, then you shouldn't focus on it. This sentiment is shared by two-time 800-meter Olympian Nick Simmons. Nick has an 800 PR of 142.95, but his biggest failure in his mind is not winning an Olympic medal. Let's hear how Nick thinks about this failure. You know, not winning an Olympic medal, that's partially in my control, but there's a lot of things I can't control. I can't control if people in that final were doping. I can't control that David Rudisha was able to run a world record in that race. You know, there's a lot of things that go into that particular failure that I just couldn't control. And it, it makes it a lot easier to live with those failures. You know, the, the fact that I was able to run the way that I did, the best time I ever ran in the final, I, I controlled all the things that I could control and it just didn't result in a success um, in the sense that I brought home a medal. But like I said, the, when you fail at something that's entirely in your control, that's, that's a failure that's a lot harder to sleep with. If I can control the situation, I, I'm the kind of person that will usually persevere and, and you know do whatever it takes to get it done. I, uh, for better or for worse, and sometimes... That, that attribute is actually a flaw. You know, uh, I stuck with biochemistry in college, even though I hated every single class, even though I, I knew that I probably wasn't going to go on and to become a doctor. But because I had started down that path, I refused to quit. And it made me miserable. I didn't enjoy studying biochemistry. I spent a lot of money on a degree that I never really used. And I think I could have been a lot happier in college had I just said, forget this and bailed. So there, there's a a quote unquote success, but in some ways I almost view that as a bigger failure because I was too afraid to have a short-term failure. Runners who don't dwell on the factors that they can't control anyway are more successful. They tend to look forward to learn from their mistakes and see the silver lining. Let's now hear from Devin Yanko. She's an ultra runner who recently won the 2017 Leadville Trail 100 but she's been a multiple national champion over the years in distances ranging from the marathon to 100 kilometers. She's also the star of episode 38 of the podcast, where we dive more into her performance at Leadville, how she's recovering, and her injury prevention strategies. Devin also prefers to look at any failure as an opportunity to learn. Here she is talking about her most recent failure, which is actually a low-stakes race. In terms of my running career, the... uh one of the lower stakes events that I've done. Um, but it just, man, I just, it was, uh, this past 
March, um, actually the day after I broke my foot, I didn't know at the time that I had broken something in my foot. Um, I went down to LA to do a ultra relay called the Speed Project. Um, and I was with my Wazelle teammates, um, six of us going to run from LA to Vegas. We were going to go for the fastest time for women. Like I think we were one of the first female teams to complete it. And I was just like, I was coming off injury. I was going through a lot of stuff personally. Like I had this freak thing happen to my foot. Like the day I flew down there, I was just not in a great, um, a great place. And then you know, like I tried to run, I managed to get through about 25 miles of the planned 60 that I was supposed to do. And I basically couldn't walk on my foot anymore um, at that point. And then while we were dry, as we're like running, so I already can't run. I feel super low. I can't be there for my, you know, like I can't support my team through running. And then on top of that, I got food poisoning while we are running through Death Valley and have to have somebody, uh, our team doctor said, if X, Y, and Z happened, you need to go to the hospital. And then X, Y, and Z happened. And so I had to have one of the crew members drive me out of Death Valley, like 40 miles to a small town emergency room. So like I, it was like, everything about it was terrible. Like I, couldn't be there. Like I pride myself. I was a basketball player. Like I'm a team player. I couldn't be there for my team in any way. Um, and it just, oh man, that, that really, <laughs> it really hurt. It took me a while to recover from that. You know, the first thing I did was kind of like really rumble with my feelings. It's a, that would be a Brene Brown term, you know, like when you are feeling really low, you kind of have to like really face what you're feeling um, I also like got a lot of feedback about, you know, my participation in that event and how like, and it, I, I just looked at what I did wrong and I was like, let me look at this not as like a, wow, let me feel bad about myself because I'm a terrible failure and I failed my team and I wasn't a good team member. Like, let me figure out how to be a better person like, let me take the value out of this. Like there, I'm not going to get, I already feel like crap, you know, physically, mentally, everything. Like I feel so low. Like how about I just try to take the lessons from this and, you know, not just dwell on it. It's like, take what you can and leave the rest. I definitely feel like I have always been good at kind of working through failures and like, rising strong from them like I I feel like one of like I have really high self-efficacy when it comes to like figuring out like how to improve and like work through problems and so I think it's been like something a skill that I've developed over time uh, it doesn't mean like in the moment that I'm not like oh I'm not I'm such a failure but like then I kind of try to, like, I just know that dwelling on it um, doesn't actually make it any better. Um, actually, a couple years ago, when I tried to run Western States for the first time, 
um, I ended up with like kidney failure and stopped at mile 55. And I was a sad sack for like two months after that race and just kind of like mopey. And, uh, you know, I was like, I don't know what the lesson is. I, you know, don't get kidney failure. And so I was like really upset. But then what I realized was like just moping around isn't actually going to make it any better. Like I still need to examine why I feel that way and why, like, why am I, what am I upset about? Even though we're talking about failure right now and we're on a podcast and I can't actually see you, I can tell that you're smiling about this. And I think that is indicative of your outlook on setbacks and these types of failures. So I think just the way that you are talking about this topic is really instructive. So thank you just for that, Devin. Well, you know, ultimately, I I think that we are putting ourselves in these situations to like, like, we're choosing this suffering. And so like, I think ultimately, like, how cool is it that we can actually do something that we might not succeed at? <laughs> like, you're like, that's really cool. Like, then when you do succeed, it's like, that's just that much more amazing. Devin just shared what I think is the best way to think about failure. She said, let me take the value out of this. I already feel like crap. How about I just take the lessons from this and not just dwell on it? Take what you can and leave the rest. You know, it's often said that successful distance runners have a short memory and an eternally optimistic outlook. What that means is that we don't remember the failures. We forget the times that we fall and the times that we fall short. Instead, we learn, we improve, and we look towards the future. Because after all, failures are simply problems, and problems can be solved. And there's another ultra runner who agrees with this idea that failing can actually be a good thing. Failing can be instructive. It can teach you about yourself. And it's just simply part of the process of training. That runner is Travis Macy, someone I've gotten to know here in Colorado. He took me on a great 10-mile loop in Evergreen a little while back. And Travis is somebody that has a very productive perspective on running. He's the author of the book, The Ultra Mindset, and he uses this psychological technique to get more out of his running and his training. Let's check in with Travis on his thoughts on why failing can actually be a good thing. If you're going to toe the line and put yourself out there with something where the outcome is not guaranteed, um, you know, it's, it's just part of the deal that sometimes you're, you're going to fail and, and you're not going to, you know, live up to your expectations. And, you know, when I, when I think about it, a specific experience for me, you know, I look back on, on my early running career, uh, namely high school and college, you know, when I was uh, training hard and, and competing at a, at a high level, especially in college. And, um, you know, my failure, I guess it's two pieces. Um, you know, initially my failure at that time was in mindset. And th what I mean by that is, um, you know, during those years, high school, college, and, and then probably, you know, my, my early twenties to some extent as well, when I, when I was still running at a high level, adventure racing, mountain biking, you know, starting to get into ultra running, those kind of things. Um, looking back, my mindset was, was what we might call a, a fixed mindset. Uh, whereas it should have been in, in hindsight, a, a growth mindset. And, you know, I, I didn't make up these terms. This is something I got from, uh, the book mindset, uh, by Dweck, which I highly recommend. And I, th I think you've probably 
read before as well, and, and many of the listeners may be familiar with. Um, but but at that time, you know, I, I had this fixed mindset, and when you're in a fixed mindset, you know, you you see each and every uh, each and every you know step of the process as as a test and as a test of your worth. So, you know, uh, you do a workout or you do a race or you do, you know, what should be an easy run with your teammates, but instead you're, you're racing and comparing yourselves to each other. You know, all of these things you see as a, a test of your, you know, your value as a person or, or, you know, how fast you, you are and will always be as a runner. And, um, you know, that, that differs from the growth mindset, which is basically the view that, you know, everything is a process and okay, well, this is how fast you are today, but you put in the work, you train smart, you know, you, you have the right outlook, you, you, uh, you have the right nutrition, all these things, you know, you do all those things and and you're going to get faster over time. You know, it's not going to (laughs) happen today, but it's going to happen slowly over time. And, um, you know, I think for me where this, this fixed mindset came to a head was, was in in my two years of um, varsity collegiate running at at CU Boulder, uh, wherein you know I came into the team. I was a walk on. I was running, you know, with some of the, you know, the the top guys, you know, really of our generation. You know, Dathan Ritzenhine and Jorge Torres, and you know all these other in- incredible athletes. And because of that fixed mindset, because I was viewing every single little, uh, you know, workout or, or race as a, as a test of my value, uh, it, it resulted in, in very, very poor training. You know, basically I was out there running as hard as I could pretty much every single run rather than kind of viewing, okay, where am I right now? And how can I train smart so that I slowly improve rather than just trying to, to, to prove, uh, to myself or others, you know, that I, that I deserve a spot on this team. So, you know, really that, that failure in mindset led to the, um, acute failure, failure of, you know, probably just not running up to, to my potential those years, you know, almost every race I had over that two year period, I just remember going into it so darn tired that, uh, you know, the race itself, uh, was, was not what it should have, have been. If we look at our physiological process of, you know, training for a goal time or whatever it might be, you know, it allows us to step back a little bit and realize, okay, well, you know, right now this is my PR or, you know, what, this is what I'm capable of doing, you know, and, and if you have that current version, then you can sort of step back a little bit and, you know, that time, that's not you, that's just, you know, kind of what you were capable of at that time and you can keep moving forward. Um, that said, I, you know, I do want to add, uh, you know, maybe I've made this whole thing sound kind of simple and, you know, e- even when you talk through this kind of mindset stuff, it's still easier said than done, you know, and I want to make that clear that, you know, I, I still race myself and I go out and, you know, I still have some, hopefully more good races than bad, but I still have races where, you know, things don't go as planned. And, and I just want to be honest and saying that that's hard. You know, those are things that at times are going to stick with you. And we all have our, our negative moments and our demons and our, our times uh, where, where we doubt ourselves or doubt our training or doubt whatever it is. And, and that's okay. You know, you don't have to be Superman or Superwoman and, you know, and, and, and always, uh, you know, having all the answers at any moment. Now, I frequently tell my athletes to focus on the process of training. Not every run needs to go well. Not every workout has to be run exactly at goal pace. And every race will certainly not go well. 
I remember back to my freshman year in college. Let me actually tell you about the worst race that I think I've ever run in all of my running career. It was a 5K at Springfield College in Massachusetts. It was in the spring of 2003. And I had just come off a debilitating Achilles injury. And I knew that I wasn't going to run very well. I was going to run way off what I should be running over 5,000 meters. But I was going to race anyway. And I line up on the track. I have my teammates, God bless them, who were (laughs) teasing me and saying that our fast friend in the race was going to lap me by mile two. And so he did lap me by mile two. And he went right on by me and he ended up winning the race in a spectacular fashion. And I'm just on the struggle bus this entire race. My poor coach, he's on the sidelines and he's yelling at me, Jason, do you want me to pull you from the race? And I looked over at him and I said, no coach, I'm all right. I just can't run any faster. And that race where my friend gleefully lapped me when I still had a mile to go, that put a fire under my ass. It inspired me to work harder, to do the little things, and to make sure that that experience prompted me to train harder, not to get down on myself. That failure was actually a blessing in disguise. So let me introduce you to Brandy Erholtz. She thinks failures can also be blessings. She's a former winner of the Pikes Peak Ascent and the first overall in the women's race at the U.S. Mountain Running Championships. But she wasn't always such a standout mountain runner. Before she hit the trails and mountains, she was a roadrunner who chased an Olympic trials marathon qualifying time year after year, but fell short year after year. Her PR stands at 249.16, missing the trials by over two minutes. Brandy thinks that this persistent, chronic failure contributed to her success in the mountains. She knows that when one door shuts, another always opens. Probably my biggest disappointment or my biggest failure as a runner was not making the um, Olympic marathon standard back in 2008. Um, I ran in high school and in college, and then I took a little break. And then I got pretty serious about the marathon back in like, I think it was 2004, 2005. And I continued to drop my time and I got up to 249 and at that time the um standard was 247 and i think for one i maybe just tried too many times but i seemed to pick races that had really hot and humid conditions and even now i don't run the best in hot and humid so my final time was like a 249 in change at the houston marathon and i ended up winning that race but it was still a huge disappointment because i had invested a ton of time in injury and i actually had stayed healthy during that whole training block as well i just could not get that standard and i felt like i was capable of running like a 245 to maybe even a 242 if i'd had like the perfect day so that was disappointing because i'd run in hot and cold and i'd run at four in the morning i'd run on the treadmill i'd run in blizzards in minnesota like i had just put in so much time so to put all that time and effort into something and then to not reach your goal at the time i thought that was my biggest failure my biggest um disappointment and the funny thing is when i um ran the 249 at Tucson, I, I won and I actually won a crystal cactus. And I'm like, what, what, what a thorn in my side. Like I had to carry that onto the airplane. And I'm like, this cactus just is like a representative of how I feel right now. It was not a nice prize to win that day. You know, that actually turned out to be the biggest blessing in disguise. So I had a ton of fitness because like I said, I thought I could run faster than my time represented. After the Tucson Marathon in December, I'd run Virginia Beach in March, like literally 
I think it was a week or two before the standard cutoff, but we got gale force headwinds and I was like even further off the standard. But, um, after that race, I had like a month of regrouping and self pity and feeling like, Oh, that really sucks. Now what? And then Nancy, I think sent me another email out of the blue and she's like, have you considered doing Mount Washington this year? It's the U S mountain running championships. And it's also the qualifier to make the U S mountain running team that travels to Switzerland in, um, September. So I thought, you know what, I have all this fitness built up. I have nothing to lose by going to Mount Washington, even though I've never done an all uphill race. And I don't even know what that's all about, but it ended up being that I can run up hills better than I knew that I could. And I ended up winning that race. And so I ended up being a national champion and made my first U S mountain running team. So the fitness that I had gained from mount or from marathon training actually translated better than one would expect to mountain running and then i found a whole new world in the running scene that i never knew existed so that failure ended up being one of the greatest things that could have happened because it opened up a new avenue of running for you it totally did like i was i think 30 or 31 when i um, missed that standard for the last time and probably had i not done mount washington we would have started having kids right away. But once I made the U.S. mountain running team, I found out I could run uphill and I have had um, a lot more success on the mountains and trails than I ever did on the roads. And I got to travel the world and I was sponsored by New Balance for many years. And now I have two young kids and I'm an old mom, but it was 100% worth it for the experiences that I've gained um, from that failure. So um, I think it's all about perspective sometimes and taking what you can from a disappointment and moving forward and setting some new goals. It seems like that failure opened up new opportunities for you. And so the failure ended up actually being a good thing. And so did, did the experience change how you think about failure now? If something bad happens, do you kind of look through it through a different lens? Yeah, I do. I realize like in running, we're always going to have good and bad days and you can't always control every aspect of your race and even just two weeks ago Pikes Peak was supposed to be one of my goal races this summer and I had the worst performance I've ever had on Pikes Peak and in years past I would have been kind of devastated by that and been like oh all that training was for nothing but now um, I'm just setting some new goals. I'm actually going to run the Brett Crest Half Marathon this Sunday, which is a new race I've never run. And then I'm going to try a 50K at Copper Mountain in two weeks. I know I still have fitness left. I don't know how that's going to translate to a 50K because I haven't, I've only done one other one before. But it gives me just like, you you have to bounce back from it and take what you can from it. Like Pikes was a hot day and I just had an off day. And so I'm going to use that fitness and try for a couple of other goals. So I think in almost every disappointment, you can take something good that happened from it or you can just learn from maybe a mistake that you make because I know in the future when I do pikes I need to do more heat training leading up to it because it's almost always hot even though I think that maybe we're going to get cold weather one year it never is so I think um, just reflecting on your experience and what you can learn from it and what you can I guess transfer to something in the future and a race is only a race it's not um, who we are as a people and I think sometimes we get so caught up in our results that we feel like our self-worth depends on our finish but it truly doesn't it's about the people and the experiences not the place necessarily Brandy's story reminds me of one of my other memorable setbacks my IT band injury after the 2008 New York City Marathon so I had finished the race it was about 10 days later and I believe it was after my first run back after the marathon and I go out there, start running, and about 20 minutes into this run, I get this searing pain on the outside of my left knee. This is a pain like I've never experienced before, but I knew it was IT band syndrome because I 
suffered through the injury a little bit in college, although not nearly at this level. Little did I know this injury was going to set me back six months. For about six months, I didn't run at all. I thought about quitting. There was no end to this injury in sight. I tried running every other week for what felt like months. I eventually just gave that up. And after about four or five months, I knew that if I wanted to run again, if I wanted to still be a runner, then I needed to fix this problem. And so that's when I got really serious about treatment. And I knew that if I wanted to have a successful running career, I couldn't keep training the way that I had been training. Something needed to change. So using what I learned from visiting over four physical therapists, using all of the research that I did online, I finally got healthy. That's where the ITB rehab routine was born. And so far, that video, I think, has been viewed close to 300,000 times on YouTube. It is enormously helpful for runners who have IT band syndrome. And that injury almost changed the trajectory of my running career. I could have easily given up. Hell, most of those six months I spent on the couch eating Oreos, watching reruns of House, wanting to quit. But I didn't. Running was too special to me. So I persevered. And even though it took me another six months to get back into mediocre shape, I stuck with it. I couldn't quit. And it's made me think, is failure just a lack of perseverance? Can we succeed just by not quitting? That's a question that I asked Nick Simmons. I really believe, and I call it cliche, you know, call it quaint, whatever you want to, the only thing it takes to be successful is perseverance. It's just that simple. I mean, if, if you're the kind of person that just won't be beat, the kind of person that shows up every day and will work until they die to, to be successful, then you're going to be successful. And, and I don't necessarily think that's the best thing in some cases. In some cases, it might be better to just say, you know, forget this and bail and move on to the next. But I do think if something's important to you, if, uh, if, it's, if it's important enough to wake up and, and do every single day and, and be great at it, then yeah, you know, you, you have to persevere. Isn't that what this running thing is all about? Persevering? progressing, enduring, because like all these pro runners have come to understand, success without failure is impossible. You must fall short of your goals to ultimately reach your potential, because running well is a learning process. And when you look back on your years of running, some of these failures might not seem so bad after all. That's the perspective of Olympian Alexi Pappas. You might recognize her as the star of episode 37 of the Strength Running Podcast. She holds the Greek national record in the 10K, is the co-writer and star of the critically acclaimed movie Tracktown, which is on Amazon, by the way, so definitely check it out. And she's had a rough-and-tumble career. She was actually kicked off her high school's track team. Check out her podcast for the full story on that. And when she started running again in college, she was one of the worst runners on the team, having been one of the best runners in California as a high schooler. She echoes a lot of the sentiments that we heard earlier, perseverance, believing in your ability, just doing the work, and how you have to learn from your failures to become better. Here's Alexi. You know, we see failures as something different when we're experiencing them and then in retrospect. But at the time, I thought it was a huge failure when I was the worst on my team in college because I felt like I knew that I could be, you know, a better runner. I knew that I could contribute to the team, but there was the one race. There are a few 
races, but one in particular where I was second to last in the Ivy League champs my sophomore year and crawled across the finish line and was only second to last to another girl who crawled slower than I did. Um, And at the time felt just really embarrassed and really, you know, questioned why I came back to running after not having run for a few years. But in retrospect, I know that that was a really brave thing to do and is a was a part of my journey that that I value to bounce back from that race you know the support of coaches and teammates and family that believed in me more than I believed in myself was really important so just trusting in a coach telling me like keep keep putting one foot in front of the other and a dad telling me to keep showing up uh, I knew inside, like I had a little tiny little fire thing. Like I believed in myself even when I didn't believe in myself, but it did help to have support from people around me. Did that experience change how you think about failure moving forward from it? Yeah, I think that there are going to be times that really suck and that we can't change or expedite certain periods of of challenge but to know that like probably in a period of time like whether it's months or years it's going to we're going to uh rewrite our history on that um if we don't give up so i know like i know every time something like awful happens in a race or some feeling comes about that i will get through it it doesn't make those times any easier when you don't feel great. But I think that experience taught me that as long as you continue to get up every day and do what you do, it will it will pass and it will be even better. I love that Alexi spoke of support. Often the people that we surround ourselves with prop us up when we're not doing so well. It's our family and friends that can help keep that fire going when we've hit a roadblock and are thinking about quitting. And so you've just heard from six different elite runners on how they think about setbacks, bounce back from failures, and use those trying times to learn and improve. These are ultramarathoners, Olympians, mountain runners, middle distance athletes, in other words, all kinds of runners. Did you see that they were all speaking the same language? What are some of the common themes that you noticed? For me, the number one lesson that I took from speaking with them is that running is a journey that allows you to learn more about yourself, both physically and mentally. If you view any failure as a learning opportunity and always get up when you fall down, then you're going to have a long and productive running career. My hope is that with this podcast, you're a little more inspired to train. And most importantly, look at elite runners as runners just like us. They struggle and get hurt and race slow too. But what often sets them apart is their mindset and their refusal to give up in the face of adversity. I hope you are like that now too. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a runner that you think might need a little boost. Head on over to strengthrunning.com elites to get some more advice from the pros on how you can recover smarter and stay healthy. And of course, thanks as always for listening.